Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed to Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. As the countdown clock to a government shutdown ticks ever closer to zero hour, there is much to consider, my friends. In what may be, at this moment, considered a victory, the passage of yet another continuing resolution comes with its own kind of damage, the kind of damage that is all too easy to overlook, the kind of damage that comes from negligence and a failure to make even the most minor yet necessary adjustments to how you operate. Joining me to explain how taxpayers stand to lose, even from the passage of a clean CR, is Joshua Sewell, TCS's Director of Research and Policy. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks, Steve. It's not just about losing. I have some bright things as well. All right. Well, Josh, let's start with a status check. The countdown clock still has time on it. The new speaker is in the driver's seat. Can he avoid the shutdown? Maybe. Okay. That's some deep insight there. Uh, Why uh, maybe? Well, the current CR expires on November 17th. And so that's just a couple days away. And when I checked a while ago, it appears there's not a lot of, we'll call it, love for the speaker's current CR proposal. And there's definitely not unity amongst Republicans. Well, with with margins as tight as they are, passing a Republican-only CR or anything means the speaker could only lose five votes. Yeah. And 90 Republicans voted against the CR that brought us to November 17th. And I think just last night, the Freedom Caucus officially came out against the bill and a number of other conservatives that are not technically part of that Freedom Caucus have as well. But clearly things are different as evidenced by the fact that Speaker Johnson was one of those 90 votes last time when uh, McCarthy was actually Speaker. And and the White House has blasted this current CR. That said, it seems like the other leaders in the House and Senate seem to be tacitly okay with this, at least not whipping against it. If I recall correctly, Josh, the last CR got every single Democrat supporting it except for one, and he opposed it because there wasn't Ukraine aid in it. Yeah, that's correct. But, you know, as you said, as of this taping, um, no one knows what could happen. The House is planning on taking this up under suspension of the rules. And listeners, podcast listeners, that's a way to fast track bills, but it requires a two thirds vote of the House to pass. Yeah, which is why this route is usually reserved for non-controversial legislation. And there's certainly controversy here. But Josh, why would extending government funding be controversial? I mean, why don't Dems take the win? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. I think um, one of the things that came out uh, first is that in what's actually a first for my time in Washington, um, the speaker has proposed what's called a laddered continuing resolution. Meaning what? 
Yeah, it means that of the 12 appropriations bills that must pass to fund the government, four are extended through January 19th, and the other eight are funded through February 2nd. This delayed uh, ladder or stagger, it seems more of a stagger to me. And just so people know, the January ones are energy and water, military construction and veterans affairs, agriculture, everyone's favorite, and the transportation, housing, urban development bill. So everything else, including defense, uh, gets those extra couple of weeks into February. And that's a little weird, but podcast listeners, Budget Watchdog AF Faithful, it's not the first time a laddered or as you called it, a staggered CR has happened. It may be the first time for you, but at the beginning of my professional career in 1991, as a young Coast Guard ensign, uh, the foreign operations bill got a longer extension than the rest of government. To be clear, it, it is still weird on and makes people uncomfortable, but hey, it may work. And at TCS, we are certainly not against weird. Um it's not one of our policy positions, but I, it's just it's just different. And so, I mean, Democrats really came out against this approach pretty hard. Reminder: This came out on a Saturday, uh, and here we are recording. I think it what is it Tuesday? I don't even remember what day it is half the time. Uh, and things have really changed. I mean, they called it a gimmick, and there were some really really choice um, quotes. Uh, some folks called it the stupidest thing they'd ever seen. Claimed it was so chaos in Washington, but here we are. Well, and I think some of it was there was how many ladders, how many steps on this ladder would there be? Would it be like every bill gets its own uh, deadline or is it uh, six packages? You know, and having two, I think, relieved a bit of that. And then the other thing is, is that defense is uh, in the second package. And so one thing I know that the Dems were concerned about is, is that um, that defense would get a full year uh, appropriation, it would get a boost, and then everything else would get a cut. And so they think that by having um, it it uh, going second, that um, they're they're avoiding that. Of course, if there's another short term extension of the first package, well, then all of a sudden it's going second. Um, so, but you know, those are all process arguments. Which, if you're explaining process, you're losing. Um, so we should move on from that. Um, uh, but it is uh, on a on track to pass under the suspension of the rules uh, and relying on Democrats to get passed, which is the very thing that got. Um, Speaker McCarthy removed from his speakership. It is, and but that also feels like a lifetime ago in some respects. And so, I, you're right about this process issue. Um, and I think go back a couple podcasts, and I'm not good at predicting. Apparently, I predicted a 99.9 percent chance of a shutdown. I'm pretty sure at the end of September. And thank goodness for that point one. Um, so I'm done making my fiscal New Year's resolution was to stop making those kind of predictions and just really focus on uh, what needs to get done and then the nuts and bolts of some of this stuff. But I think it's pretty clear that it looks like the CR is probably going to make it through the House at the very least. Yeah. And I mean, I'd be shocked if it didn't go through the Senate as well. Um, and uh, and I mean, the other thing that it kind of does is um, that, again, is kind of a process related thing is that it gets it past the holidays, you know, it gets it past uh, Thanksgiving, gets it past Christmas and New Year's. And that also is a pressure point to get legislation through, which is one of the things that the conservatives were um, opposed to. Leaving all that aside, so what it seems to have gotten the Democrats and the more establishment Republicans on board? A lot of it is that this the continuing resolution part of the bill is relatively clean. Uh, it's actually only five pages, which was a refreshing change of pace. 
So relatively clean is not clean. And as we talked about at the top of the show, Josh, I mean, there are problems and, and implications of even a clean CR that um, things are not getting taken care of. But uh, what programs are affected in this relatively clean CR? Yeah, I mean, when I, when I went through it, I mean, there were some – I definitely noticed a couple – uh, increased spending on some of these submarine procurement uh, accounts uh, in in the Pentagon, I, and there were a handful of other small things, but really those are the two big that big dollar amounts that stuck out. But I, as you said, the the real challenge is that a clean CR makes it easier in some respects to get people on board, but it also makes it harder on the people who are actually implementing the programs in the government because the government is stuck in suspended animation. Right. I mean, this is going to be if they're in that January, you know, category, it'll be a whole whole first quarter that has been stuck in suspended animation, as you said. And if you're in February, Department of Defense, it's going to have been, you know, four plus months that they actually haven't had um, a bill. And then not only that, then when they finally do get a bill and that's assuming that they get it, you know, in either January or February, whichever agencies – They've got to rush to spend that cash, um, that extra cash that normally it's, let's face it, it's normally an increase, uh, in that short period of time. And so it, and yeah, and so what it means is that, uh, like it or not, we're going to be spending money in these programs. And so the agencies, when you're under a CR, you can't effectively fully adjust to change circumstances. You might need to spend more money in certain programs and other things that you that were necessary last year just aren't as pressing of an issue. And so, but when you're in a CR, you're stuck to that. And so it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it's also fiscally irresponsible. Yeah. And I mean, it is a, um, you know, basically the way it's viewed is, is like a cliff that, you know, you can't plan for anything occurring after that uh, CR expires. You can't assume that you're actually going to have continued funding. You can't assume that you're going to actually have a budget. So all of a sudden, conferences, travel, uh, other hires, all of that sort of stuff just gets laid by the wayside. And it's just an incredibly inefficient way to um, uh, govern. And, you know, it, 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 it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's the worst option, but for all the others, I guess you would say, you know, um, and, and a CR is better than a shutdown, but, um, it, it, it certainly, uh, is a terrible way to run a railroad. Um, so what are some of the, um, other things that are extended in this package? You know, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't just government spending that was expiring on, uh, September 30th and then got extended in November 17th. What else is in this package? Yeah, no, there are a number of things. There were some uh, health-related provisions uh, dealing with health and human services. There is even some Medicare rate cuts that are delayed a couple of months. The big one for me, which may not be a surprise, is the Farm Bill gets extended for one year. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, it took us uh, it took us a few minutes to get to Farm Bill, but uh, here we are. Well, I did notice that you did uh, kind of make a underscore on the ag appropriations part of the CR. So, um, you know, you did kind of get something in there on that. So what about um, something else we've discussed on the podcast before, the National Flood Insurance Program? Oh, yes. The flood insurance program is also extended uh, through February 2nd. So that means that uh, folks who want to or need to um, get a flood insurance uh, policy are able to to, to get one. Otherwise, when it expires, you can't get new flood insurance policies. And actually, NFIP is a good example here because actually um, it's just been getting extension after extension. Um, it hasn't had a full reauthorization in years. Um, and so speak to that a little bit, Josh. I mean, what are some of the missed opportunities of these extensions? Well, you just mentioned it. Like um, the, the biggest missed opportunity is that you don't have an actual debate on the merits of these programs. 
you know, and people are debating NFIP, and we've been involved in a lot of uh, work groups and conversations with members of Congress. But it, rubber stamping um, any program in a, in these short term extensions, it sometimes can take away from that momentum for reform, um, and it can also lead to bad reforms at times. Um, but yeah, and and I think. The Farm Bill extension that I have read through a couple of times, it has a little bit of both of those. Let me cede the floor to you a little bit, Josh. To, uh, we'll have a mini Farm Bill extension podcast within a podcast. So tell the Budget Watchdog AF Faithful um, what what all is uh, in this, or at least not what all, but some of the high points of what's in this extension. Sure. And as always, if you need to reclaim your time, please let me know. So one of the positive things in the Farm Bill extension is that there are a handful of programs authorized in the Farm Bill that don't have what's known as a spending baseline. So just a, a quick uh, history on Farm Bills is Farm Bills authorize programs for five years. But even though they're only authorized for five years, the Congressional Budget Office scores them over 10. That's just the rules, you know, and because it's 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 a nice budgeting thing because CBO knows there's going to be some sort of farm program, probably going to look a lot like the last one. So it's a way for some honest budgeting. But if you have a brand new program or it's too small or it was authorized for less than those five years, it becomes what's known as an orphan program. And there were 21 of those in the last farm bill. So this time, you know, one of the big obstacles to getting a farm bill extension, whether it was on the CR or not, because it's pretty clear we're not going to get a farm bill done this year, uh, was how do you deal with these orphaned programs. Now, here's a little caveat. They were, quote, only about 170, 180 billion, excuse me, 170, 180 million dollars worth of programs in what's a $1.5 trillion bill over 10 years. But some folks held the ground and they actually authorized these orphan programs for one more year, again, about $170 million worth by cutting another outdated wasteful program called the Biorefinery Assistance Program. So, Good job. Uh, don't say that a lot to the Aggies, but good job on doing that. And let's look at the rest of the bill. All right. Reclaiming my time. You know, one of the other beefs, keeping in agriculture, I guess, uh, uh, that we have with uh, the CRs is that, uh, you know, they take up all this attention. They take up all this time. Um, and, uh, you know, it gets in the way of Congress doing its job um, because all of the talk is, is about What's happening with the with the uh, legislate? You know, with the CR. What is going to happen? Is government going to shut down? And so it really takes all the sort of policy oxygen out of the room, and 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 Congress ceases to govern. Yeah, it, it takes it. It does take a lot of the oxygen out of the room, and you know, you know, the discretionary budget um, is about one point eight trillion dollars. That's obviously not small change, but it's not the majority of the budget, and so. We appreciate focus and attention being paid on every program. There's no program too small to avoid scrutiny. But this does get back to process to a certain extent, and that there was a deal made in June. I know it feels like a long time ago, but we got past the the fiscal cliff or the the debt. Excuse me, we got past the debt limit uh, cliff by having a deal on the top line spending, and so write the bills to what we all were actually what Congress agreed to. Uh, and then let's move on and spend our attention finding savings in the next uh, budget. Because actually, I hadn't thought about this. February 2nd is pretty close to the day the president is supposed to release his budget request for fiscal year 2025. It's the first week of February. So we should be moving on pretty soon, not stuck here spinning our wheels uh, and avoiding some of the bigger savings areas. 
I mean, that's a great point, Josh. I mean, I mean, June seems like an eon ago, uh, and uh, but you know, Speaker McCarthy and President Biden struck a deal and came up with those spending levels that passed bipartisan uh, um, uh, agreement with Congress, and um, and then now people are reneging on that and trying to cut those spending levels, and and so you know, it's almost like. Take the victory, take the win. I mean, it, you you got what you know this deal. You got past the 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 debt limit deal, you know, and um, raised that or suspended it until uh, February of 2025. So to get it to where or January 2025, um, where um, the next president, um, whoever that is, whether it's a second term of Biden or a, a first term of. Uh, of another uh, candidate, or I guess the second term of President Trump. Um, anyway, th- it should just be pushed to the. This all should be pushed to the side. It's all been taken care of, and as you said, we turned the page to FY twenty five, and not just that. You know, one of the things that we've, you know, we talked about process, and and one of the things that we've actually come out for, um, and you know, we've been skeptical of commissions in the past, and and there have been a few that have had some success. But in reality, you know, that's one of the things that we've we've started championing is um, having this sort of independent fiscal commission that's made up uh, bipartisan from members of the House and members of the Senate and Republicans and Democrats and independent experts, and actually make some of these proposals to deal with not just, you know, the discretionary budget, which as you point out, is only a third of the federal budget, but actually these mandatory programs that are are facing a real fiscal challenges and imbalances going forward. And so it seems like that's something where it needs to move forward. And we were happy to see the budget committee, the House Budget Committee have a, a hearing on this proposal and, and it seems to be gaining some momentum. Yeah. I and I, I can't agree more uh with what you you just said there. And it, it and I want to be clear, I'm not criti- I'm not really criticizing folks for for wanting to rein in a one point eight trillion dollar discretionary budget. Yeah. I mean there's a, our, we we certainly, you know, one of these Previous commissions uh, actually was the super committee. Um, we came up with, you know, trillion dollars in cuts uh, for the super committee, our super cuts for the super committee. And so clearly, you know, there are options out there, but, you know, careening from CR to CR or shutdowns doesn't save any money. It costs money. And we know that. Um, and it's been documented by um, the Congressional Budget Office that 35 day shutdown cost billions of dollars and actually had a hit on the overall economy. I mean, it wasn't huge. It was, uh, you know, less than a percent of GDP, but GDP is pretty darn big. So that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big issue. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the U.S. GDP is somewhere around $30 trillion. And so, um, just even like a 1% hit is, is, is significant. Yeah. And so I'd say there is a little bit of fatigue. I'll be honest, a little fatigue around this particular, um, for me, I should say, but this particular spending year. Um, but it's not just, it's not that I don't want to work on this anymore. It's that I'm, I'm honestly concerned that we haven't had that robust farm bill debate. You know, the, it, There's always a chance that, that people get tired of these debates and then just pass these massive bills uh, without really debating them. That's what happened last time we had a farm bill. So it is a little self-interested, but my self-interest in this is to get a better farm bill that saves a lot of money and then to move on. Uh, to getting folks to engage in all the other entitlements and all the other and come back to discretionary next year. We just, you know, it's you don't want to focus on just one sport. You know, you got to you got to change your sports at a time so you don't, you know, you don't get that rotator cuff injury, you know, do some track. So let's let's move on to something else for a while. Yeah. And 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 so and this is not the last whack at the discretionary budget. I mean, certainly there's another one coming, uh, you know, for fiscal year 25. And it's another Biden budget, as you referred to. And so it is about um, 
um, moving on, you know, take take whatever you, you, you got and move on. And so I think the other thing to highlight here is what is not in this package. <laughs> hint, hint, led to this before the one Democrat voted against uh, the last CR because of something that wasn't in there. So what, what is that, Josh? Well, there's actually quite a bit. Um most notably, there's the $106 billion in emergency spending that the president has requested and many in Congress would like to spend on a variety of issues. Yeah, the Ukraine, the Israel funding, those are two notable ones. But yes, you're right. There's a whole bunch of other uh, emergency funding. And then actually that gets a little bit to, um, you know, kind of again, a procedure. I mean, some of the stuff that's uh, so-called emergency um, is really kind of more regular budget stuff at this point. And, and I mean, you know, OMB has a definition of emergency. What's that, Josh? Yeah, the one that, that they've used for a long time, or at least in the past, that we, that we really uh, hold on to is that it basically is a five-point test. Uh, so the, the spending has to be necessary, which means not, very, not merely beneficial. So necessary, sudden, urgent, unforeseen. And not permanent. And I, I think this is besides the farm bill, this emergency spending, what is an emergency and what is not? And how do you pay for uh, things that are sometimes even how do you pay for emergencies? But really, how do you pay for things that, that meet maybe four of those five criteria, but not one of them? That's the crux of the debate is what we should be having, I think. Yeah, exactly. And determining what is emergency. And, and so even like things like Ukraine funding, I mean, the war has been going on for well over a year. And so it certainly is something that Congress knew this was coming up, but, you know, you can propose it in a supplemental and it seems more like bite-sized pieces and it's not in the regular budget. And uh, so it's one way that Congress is able to get around things. Whereas, you know, you have, you know, real emergencies like wildfires in Maui, you know, or tropical storms hitting California or uh, a hurricane hitting uh, Florida that, you know, we didn't foresee, at least not that particular one. And so those are places where you want to have emergency funding is particularly if it's in the midst of a fiscal year. And to be clear, I think this is not always about supporting or opposing the underlying policy. And I think Ukraine funding is a, is a clear example of for Congress, the majority of Congress saw it in March of last year qualifying as an emergency, but it, it's been a year and a half. It, it, I would argue, and many in Congress argue, that it meets all the criteria except for the fact it's not sudden and it's not unforeseen. So maybe it only meets two of them. So the point being, we know we're going to spend on certain things. We should budget for it. And uh, not budgeting, not planning leads to basically vastly expanding budgets. And to get back to CRs, CRs attract uh, emergency supplementals and they attract extensions without getting uh, those programs the kind of oversight they need. And so another reason to move away from CRs uh, and get back to the, as close to regular order as we can is so that we can provide the kind of debate Congress needs to have about about what we should be spending our money on and then how we should budget for it. Mr. Agriculture, Josh Sewell, thanks for breaking it down for everyone today. Well, there you have it, podcast listeners. It's six to five and pick them on whether the government shuts down or not. This is the frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share and know this. Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode soon. I hope you'll meet us right here to learn more.